Hey, in Bonhoeffer's day, he was incredibly frustrated with a German church that was fixated with a superficial form of moralism and legalism. In other words, doing the right thing, following the letter of the law, but completely missing the spirit of the law. For instance, if somebody came up to a German Christian and they were running, a Jew running from a hostile government, they said, hey, would you would you be able to hide me in your home? Uh, they're after me, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill my family. Um, he was concerned that Jews in his, or Germans in his day would look at Romans 13 and say, well, the Bible Bible says, and based on an incorrect legalistic interpretation of Scripture, completely omit the greater portion of the law, which is to love God with all your heart and soul and to love your neighbor. This was the kind of church he was dealing with, the church more concerned with their reputation than they were with loving Jesus and doing the right thing. Uh, wow, some great stuff for us to consider today. We're going to take a deep dive into this on our podcast. We hope you'll join us. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. I just want to say thank you guys for uh, tuning in and listening. There's probably not a week that goes by uh, at church on Sunday or somewhere in the marketplace where somebody doesn't just surprise me and actually say, Pastor Ron, I watch you and Andrew uh, in the podcast uh, every week faithfully. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. I thought it was just my mom that did that. <laughs> but there, there are a, host of, a growing host of uh, folks out there who are our friends and who uh, enjoy the time that we take to do these podcasts. And I, again, I just say thank you guys for letting us know, because it's encouraging you know, to us just to continue to, uh, to do what we do here. Yeah, I, mean, I appreciate you taking the time, which is yeah. really your most valuable asset, yeah, and spend it with us. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we'll try to make it worth your while yeah. today try and to add every some day. Value to, to <laughs> Encourage you, yes. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Pastor Andrew and I like to start off this podcast with a lot of incredibly relevant things that are happening because my contention and, and uh, you know conviction from day one has been that our Christian worldview speaks to life and makes sense out of life because it's true, obviously, um, but it helps us make sense out of the world. And there's a lot of things going on every week, every day, uh, but there are some things that I like to highlight that are just absolutely uh, critical to understanding why the biblical worldview makes sense and why we should be promoting it and and uh, confidently sharing it everywhere we go. There's a situation that happened just uh, this past week. Some of you have maybe been following this. Um, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, any of us that have kids... Um, you know, kids, kids have a way of capturing your heart, right? I mean, we love, there's no, nobody we love more than our own flesh and blood, our children. And then when your children are sick and they need care, um, again, you, you just want to know that they're, that they're going to be treated well, they're going to be loved well, they're going to be given the finest care. And I think that's been a hallmark of our American system, right? You know, um, uh, if, our, if our children need some type of medical intervention, then we can go uh, and that the doctors and the whole system is on our side and we're all working together for, for our child's healing. Well, this, uh, some of you saw this little baby, uh, Indy, as they called uh, called her, uh, was just uh, just passed away. And I'll, I'll just read what what I had on my uh, on my internet account. Deeply saddened to share that baby Indy has passed away after being deprived breathing assistance. Let me be clear: the British government murdered her. They denied the right of Indy's parents to pursue other treatment for her, keeping her captive by the court mandated medical team that decided Indy must die. 
The medical team violated their sacred duty to do no harm. This is murder, plain and simple. It's a stain on the national conscience of the United Kingdom. There must be uh, a reckoning. There must be reform. There must be reparations for the evil acts committed uh, by both the medical teams and the UK courts. Somebody else said, let's just say the quiet part out loud, especially for those in the back. She's a burden on the system, so they don't want to pay for her anymore. They are too prideful to admit that, so they would rather watch her die than let anyone help. This is socialized medicine. Hard lessons to be learned for the supporters of socialized government health care. This is the outcome. Why would anyone put government in control of making health care decisions for its citizens? Other than make war, what does government do well? Um, one more I had in here. If I, I think I lost it, but here we go. The decision of the English judges to proceed at 11 a.m. British time with the suspension of life support for Little Indy, despite the possibility of a hospital in Rome to provide her with the best palliative therapies uh, and care, despite the granting of Italian citizenship, Citizenship is a defeat for humanity, for medicine, for science, and for Western Civ. The decision was made on the basis of quality of life parameters mm. that are totally euthanistic and that plunge us back into the darkest periods of recent history. Um, a little girl will die today um, because of socialized health care. So th th this is just um, unbelievable to me that um, when you allow government to take care of your health care industry, which is what uh, Obamacare tried to do in America, basically make single-payer single health care, um, then you're taking health care decisions away from families and what's best for the child, and now you have a, a health court that basically decides the outcome of your child, even though there were other options. And even though the parents wanted to choose those other options, they were not allowed to take their own child out of a medical situation. You know, I, I can't imagine, like if I went, if I, if I placed my child in for a procedure at a hospital and the hospital did all that they could do and they could do no more, then I I could be able to say, okay, I'm, it's time for me to take my child and we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to seek care somewhere else. Or at least I'm going to take my child home and my child will die in the comfort, you know, if it's a situation where there's nothing else that can be done. At least my child's going to die in my arms at home. Um, but but here in this situation, because of nationalized health care, they're like, no, you don't have that choice. That's our choice. And you're not, you're not allowed to take this child out of the hospital. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine what I would do if confronted with a situation like that. I mean, I'm, I, I'm picturing myself knocking the windows out of the hospital, letting my child down out from a rope. I mean, but I'm not going to sit there and let, and let the government tell me that they're going to make that choice for me and basically kill my, kill my child at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm so grieved over this. I can't even, it's, it's beyond my, my brain's ability even to comprehend it. I mean, we talked about this. What a, what a uh, trampling of parental rights. And these decisions, again, are based on rationing. They're based on limited resources. They're not based on um, uh, the child, the parents, uh, the, a child made in the image and likeness of God. What's the right thing to do? Treating, treating humanity with dignity and respect, the sanctity of life. I mean, I go on and on and on. Uh, it's just heart-wrenching to me. That yeah, it, it's one of the person you you read off mentioned that we're well, going back to barbarism 
right? Western Civ is supposed to promote life, promote a family, um, that there's human dignity. Yeah. And, and basically, based on those assessments, I haven't studied the story myself, but based on those assessments, what I'm hearing is that human beings are just another quota, it's just another number, it's just another uh, statistics that you yeah. measure by certain parameters. You know, how you like that? <laughs> your survivability parameter or your, 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 your cost of living parameters and you become a number. I mean, we're going backwards, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas the, the reason why it's blowing your mind, blowing my mind, is because our biblical worldview tells us that life is precious, and our biblical worldview also tells us that the family is a unit that's honored by God and should be honored by the government, right? right. So who's making medical decisions is not some doctor or judge for your child, but it's the parents. Right. And we see this. I mean, we've talked about this. It's happening with the whole uh, transgender issues in our public schools where, where teachers are, are actually being trained to hide information from parents. Uh, if parents get involved, if parents try to say anything, uh, then they're fined or the child's taken away from them. I mean, just horrific, horrific scenarios that are popping up. And this is what happens uh, when you don't have a biblical worldview and you let the state run your life. And and again, I I don't know what it's going to take in America. I think people are waking up, but to realize like where do where do these ideas come from? This comes from your Bible. This comes from a Christian worldview. These are good things. And if you lose the Bible, if you lose God, if you lose um, the whole concept of parental authority. Uh, you you just create a nightmare, a horrific nightmare where scenarios like this happen, where kids are taken away. Um, I mean, it, it's just uh, kids are taken away or kids are, are unplugged and left to die. Um, and it's just disgusting. Yeah. The government has not had a great history of taking care of orphans and children. Now, but the challenge is uh, a lot of times government feels that vacuum when parents have abdicated their duties. Right. So it's kind of a, a twinfold of thing. Two-sided thing too. So right, yeah, right. The other thing, just to jump, is a major victory, but it's it's again appalling that this happened. Uh, a Finnish parliamentarian and a Protestant church leader have been acquitted over charges of hate speech and violating the nation's statute against quote war crimes and crimes against humanity by sharing Bible verses and traditional Christian teachings about sexuality. So hear what we just said here. Because they shared traditional Christian teachings about sexuality, in this case, they, they question why in the world the church would be supporting an LGBTQ parade promoting sexuality that goes directly against the clear teaching of Scripture. So they simply tweeted a Bible verse. And the, the fact that tweeting a Bible verse would be brought to trial under the War Crimes and Crimes Against Humanity Act. I mean, this is unbelievable. We're talking here about war crime. We're talking about doing horrific things, torture, murder, uh, horrific acts against humanity that are normally reserved for war, right? War situation, war crimes. We're talking about trying somebody for tweeting a Bible verse under war crimes. I mean, this is how insane... Uh, most of Europe is. Um, so this was this was a huge, huge situation. She actually t- tweeted Romans 1, 24 through 27, a, a, a Bible passage that declared the same-sex intercourse is sinful. Um, uh, anyway, th- this, this trial has been going on for I don't know how long, and she finally was vindicated, which is great. Uh, she's got a great attitude about it. Um, 
but I like this. She said, although jubilant over the, the, over the outcome, Christians say the prosecution exemplifies the phrase, quote, the process is the punishment. So, <laughs> so here's the point. Right, right. You might win in court, but you just spent three or four years of your life going through hell, being, going through depositions, uh, paying legal bills, uh, having this cloud hanging over your head, um, all for tweeting a Bible verse. Uh, because now tweeting a Bible verse is considered a hate crime in some places in the world. Um, I love her commitment, though. She says, whatever the consequences, I will not back down from my biblical convictions. And she said, this has given me a chance to actually share the gospel on national television, yeah. in court, yeah. to, to go back to Romans chapter 1, to preach the gospel, to, to, to share with people who are asking her for the reasons for why she, you know, why she believes what she believes. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom here, again, celebrates a global victory uh, for free speech. Um, uh, she said Christians, or they said Christians have been commissioned to share the good news and spread it to the ends of the earth, and the ability to speak freely is central to this mission. Um, she said, while, uh, while we celebrate this victory today, there's still work to be done. Now is the time to speak, because the more we are silent, the narrower the space for freedom of speech and religion grows. That's kind of what we talked about, that spiral of silence. If you don't speak now, uh, uh, you keep losing more and more of your liberties before you know it is all gone. You know, you know what, when I heard you said war crimes— this is my thought. Is it is a war crime because this is the war in between two different kingdoms. That's good. Yeah. And, and when she spoke out, she basically says, "This is the kingdom. This is the t dominion of the kingdom of God, and Jesus is reigning and ruling, and we want to take our territory." And the kingdom of this world is saying, "That's a war crime because it is a war crime." No, I, it's a spiritual reflection. It's a spiritual they, they, war crime. They, they, they are. I don't know if they're trying to, but a reflection of the spiritual warfare that is going on. No, you're, you're exactly right there. But I mean, think about this. Like what Hamas did uh, to the Israeli people, that's war crime. We're talking about uh, chopping off people's heads, raping women, uh, killing babies, um, you know, uh, torturing grandmas, uh, kidnapping infants. This is what we call war crimes. Sharing Romans... Uh, a Bible verse from Romans and putting it on the same level as a war crime? I mean, are you kidding me? But you're exactly right. Th this fight for sexual perversion uh, is a battle, and people people will destroy you, put you in prison, fine you, uh, throw away the key, um, because that's that's how they view but, sexual perversion. But this person, this I think this lady who tweeted that, right, she counted the cost. She was ready for war, and in this process, she's able to advance the God's kingdom and share the word of God. So for her, I mean, this is she's the she's the example oh, she's of what a, it should look yeah. like. Yeah. She's a role model. But yeah. but here's my thing: this poor woman was put through hell uh, simply because the government refused to acknowledge the the inalienable right. Number one, just to, for religious freedom and religious conscience. Now, again, why why were we so adamant about protecting people's rights during during the quote pandemic? Um, because when you got again uh, medical um, uh, hospitals, uh, your place of employment, whatever, basically saying get the jab or you lose your job. Get the it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Uh, we're telling you you need to take this shot if you want to work, if you want to travel. We're talking about you know all these. Um, uh, 
passports where where you had to have yep. proof vaccine of vaccine passports. Yeah. Vaccine passports. I mean, if we don't get irate about this stuff, this this irritates me that this dear woman, she's made the most of it, but she's lost several years of her life and wasted untold thousands of euros over in their economy, um, and. Um, all, be, all because government hostility and because government thinks that they're the ones making these shots. Uh, we have a situation where another family loses their daughter um, because government thinks it's their job to make those kind of decisions. I mean, it's not government's job to make hardly any decisions in our life. And the more we get government out of our lives, the, the better our lives are. That's what freedom is all about. Uh, freedom from government. And uh, so it just, it just ticks me off on a... Uh, on a, on a uh, what's the word principle level, yeah. you know, uh, a principle level that this would even be allowed, and and now this Finnish government is considering taking this to the highest court, so it's not even over, um, perhaps. Uh, but again, at least it's a it's a temporary win for for free speech and for religious liberty. Well, it was a unanimous choice, so there was a lot of clarity. I don't know how the courts are structured that this is absolute violation of freedom of speech. Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, the, but you brought out a really good point. This this was a war crime from, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So much of what's going on behind the scenes, even in America today, is, is not, you can look at what the headlines say, but behind it is our demonic principalities and powers pushing a an agenda from hell. Is it just what gives it you is. clarity in the situation to say, okay, that's exactly what we're up against. So you can count the costs and you can make sure that you brought enough resources to win the this battle. We're not engaging something that we don't know of because right. from the from the spiritual standpoint, yes, that attack of tweeting the Bible verse is absolutely an invasion upon the kingdom of darkness. I mean, think about this, that we would view, number one, the the Bible itself as a violation of a war crime act or something like this. I mean, are you kidding me? To me, it's the arrogancy of secular godless people to attack the scriptures and um, uh, and again for us just to sit back and roll over and die and pretend like you know it's no big deal, which is a kind of a good lead-in to our chapter today in the Metaxas book, Letter to the American Church, called "Justifying Ourselves." If you're following along with us, I know many of you have told me you picked up a copy of the book. Great, read it and share it with other people, and uh, we hope that uh, as we kind of give our take on each of these podcasts, you know, I kind of figure like we're. You know, you can watch ESPN, which is like reading the book, or you can watch ESPN and listen to the Manning brothers give their take on what's happening on the field. <laughs> We're kind of like the Manning brothers. We're like giving our take on on uh, Metaxas's book. So you yeah. can either read the it's book or don't listen to us. No, listen to us. We're more entertaining than you reading the book. You don't want to read this book. Words. We're way more entertaining. Come on. All right. We're, we're going to give you what it's Metaxas. Like to people commentary on the movies. Don't watch the movie. The yeah. commentary is more interesting than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're going to tell you what you, we think about all this. Yeah. But Metaxas is kind of dealing with exactly what we just talked about, this attempt to justify ourselves before God. He says is a wish to be God ourselves, which never ends up well. He's talking about this kind of a moralistic trap that we fall into when we become religious instead of passionate lovers of Jesus. You know, for instance, back to this dear woman who simply tweets this verse and asks a good question. What is a church doing supporting a parade that is celebrating something that God hates and calls an abomination? Not a bad question, but much of the church would say, you know, to use this illustration, you know what? 
why don't even go there? Why even make that tweet? You know, just just lay low. Just mind your own business. You might believe that, but hey, why go against this cultural t- tsunami? You know, I mean, just be a good Christian and avoid conf- confrontation. God, know, after all, God knows your heart. And that's what Metaxas, you know, he's talking about the the church in Germany and what Bonhoeffer was dealing with. People were people were advocating take, taking the safe path, the path of least resistance, um, kind of remaining in charge of your own little world. And you know, if you if you tweet something like that and you throw it out there, God only knows what could happen. So let's just you know lay low, like he says, keep our noses clean, uh, take the moralistic approach. It gives the example of Pharisees who, who you know, they tithe their mint and their herbs. But Jesus said, "You're going through the you're going through the rituals, you know. You're, you're saying you believe in tithing, and that's great, and you're practicing it, but you're missing the whole heart behind the command. Mm-hmm. So you're keeping the command, but missing the substance of the command. You got the shell, but you're missing the substance. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he goes on. He says, when you treat God as the harsh judge." It causes you to live out of fear and not love. You, all you're concerned with is giving him his talent back. And, of course, he's making an allusion here to the parable of the talents. And I, I like his take on it. I, I, I'm talking about Bonhoeffer here. I had never looked at this. He said basically that the, that the, the uh, man who buried his talent did so because he had a, mis, uh, a misconception, I guess, about the character and nature of God. He said, I knew you were a harsh mm-hmm. taskmaster, basically. And because you're harsh, I let, God forbid I would lose this talent you gave me. So I just dug a hole and I buried it because you are harsh. And, and I know you're, you would respond harsh to me if I somehow took this talent and lost the money or you know, didn't ha- bring a return on the right. investment. Right. And, he's, and his, you know, Bonhoeffer's take is because this guy had a a wrong conception of the character of God instead of being a loving father, being a harsh taskmaster, that's what caused him to bury his talents and simply to give back in a legalistic kind of religious way instead of saying, hey, my, ma- my master's giving me, given me this talent. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to courageously invest this money and, and, and see what happens and work on bringing back a return because I know my father uh, loves me and my father's for me. And that's what my father would want me to do is, is, is take some risks, make some investments uh, and, and put this money to work. In other words, act on, take my talent and act on it. Don't bury it out of fear. Uh, and he's saying that much of the German church had a, had they viewed God as that hard taskmaster, uh, and so let's just you know get, give to God what He wants. We'll go to church. We'll pay our tithes. We'll, we'll do all the external religious things to please God, but we're not doing it out of a passionate love for God. We're really doing it out of a fear of maybe failure, a fear of of God not being happy with us or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's interesting. His take is when you view God as the harsh landlord or master, you are going to get a harsh master and a landlord. Yeah. Because even when the master came back, he says, you know that I'm harsh. Why wouldn't you multiply this talent? Yep. 
you know, which ties into this idea of like we almost see God as not a relational father, but a taskmaster sure. who is almost like a computer who just grades you based on your your perform like a checklist yeah. performance. Input in, input yeah. out. Scantron, yeah. you remember those Scantron oh, tests, yeah. oh, yeah. multiple choice. It's not even a person grading you, it's a computer grading you, and anytime you step outside of the line, there's a slap, there's an X, you know, your right. grade is wrong, you're bad. We see God as that person. And if that's how we see God, we would never venture out. We would never take risk. We yeah. would never, we would stay in our safe bubble. God's a legalist, therefore we relate to each other and to him in a very legalistic fashion. Mm -hmm. God's a moralist, we moralize everything. You know, I used to get frustrated with the professors that were legalists about the answer because I would say, well, let me explain why I said that was false. Mm -hmm. You know, and if a student came to mm -hmm. me and explained why and told me the rationale mm -hmm. and how they interpreted my, my question, I go, okay, well, I'm tracking with you. So we basically said the same thing. We just came at it from a different perspective. So sure. I'll give you that. I'll give you true that. and false because of that reason. Yeah, but if yeah. the teacher's like, no, nope, well, sorry, no, nope. and and you right. have that robotic approach, right. which is very legalistic without even listening to to right. the answer, uh, that frustrated the daylights out of me. And I think that's again, that's why Bonhoeffer's saying, hey guys, you know, you're you're you're, you're wanting to look good. You're, you're wanting to, to appeal to God on the basis of your outward performance, but God's a God that goes after the heart. He goes after the motive. He's not, you know, uh, uh, Metaxas said, uh, Bonhoeffer's writings in, the, in his book on ethics, he made this statement. He goes, God's not concerned with your success. He's concerned with your obedience. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, it doesn't matter if your church looks successful on the outside if you're not obeying God, doing the radical things that your culture and the time in which you live, the radical things that is demanded of you. And sometimes those things are not easy to do. He says, you know, it's the job of the church to counter the state if the state's actions are evil. And he said, you know, the German church cooperated with the Nazi authorities using Romans 13 as the justification. It was not their job to argue or to resist anything that was going on because, well, Romans 13 says basically that's not our lane. And, uh, and so therefore, we're just going to stay out. We'll keep doing our Bible studies. We'll keep showing up for church. We'll keep doing the Christian thing. We have the shell of Christianity, but the heart, the, the essence is gone. And um, but we're but we're legalists. We're we're looking good on the outside, and we're quoting Bible verses while while we simply don't do anything. And I like this phrase. He said, "We have theologically restrained objections." He said, "Really, when you have a theologically restrained objection, are you really concerned about what's happening, for instance, to the Jewish people? And you're hiding behind your theologically restrained." Um, you know, uh, objections. He says, really, at that point, you're concerned more with your theological purity than you are with uh, with the with the gospel, with, with the with the call of Jesus to do what's right uh, and to care for your neighbor and to love your neighbor. And again, I think about the example we gave of the of the moralist, the the uh, the medical. Um, uh, courtroom judges who simply say we're going to pull the plug on a little girl and let her die uh, based on whatever other extraneous um, uh, arguments that are made. Uh, that to me, again, is missing the essence of medicine. What is, what is the purpose of medicine? It's to preserve life, to heal life, to maintain life, not to take life. Uh, so, so again, you have all, all these doctors with all these degrees and all this medical hoopla around you, but at the end of the day, you cannot even figure out the fact that you exist to save that little girl, not to kill that little girl. Yeah. 
Um, and again, that's what's going on in Hitler's Germany at the time. I just have a little side note here, talking about theological purity. Um, every now and then you come across these articles on social media uh, that say something like this, you know, we can't support uh, Hillsong music or Bethel music or Maverick City music because, because when we buy one of their CDs, um, we're supporting um, doctrinal impurity, you know, um, because somewhere somebody read that somebody from that ministry or organization practiced something that they felt like was not biblical. And usually it's all hearsay. I always ask people, did you did you go talk to the leader of that movement? Um, no. Do you know the leader of that movement? No. Uh, have you ever spent time with the leaders in that movement? No. But now because of some theological purity argument, you're not going to listen to a great song. Like Hillsong has been producing music for how many decades now? Um and it's outstanding music, and it's theologically accurate music. They're not singing heretical things, but because somebody in the movement had a moral failure or somebody in the movement you know, uh, uh, got drunk and did something inappropriate while they were drunk, do we support the drunkenness? No. Do you support the moral failure? No. But do you throw out a decade of great Jesus-exalting music because you're a, you're a theological purist? I mean, it's so pharisaical to me when I read that kind of stuff. It makes me want to puke. I mean, I've got I've got authors on my shelf who didn't end well. They wrote they wrote books that are really great books. In fact, we actually talked about some of them in the early days of this podcast. They were they were doctrinally uh, pure, but their lives didn't match their doctrine. And so, do you take all those books and burn it because the person didn't finish well? No, that would be really stupid because truth is truth regardless of the imperfect vessel that it's coming from. It just it just ticks me off because, again, at the end of the day, it's, it's more like guilty by association. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to associate with you because um, in doing so, it makes me look like I'm compromising my faith uh, over whatever theological gnat you're trying to strain out. Um, and so, again, to not, to not act to not save the Jewish people, to not stand for life, to not stand for sexual purity, um, because, you know, your Romans 13 interpretation or something might make you theologically impure, just frustrates the daylights out of me. But I, and I, I can see myself, uh, uh, you know, running with Bonhoeffer on some of these things and being frustrated with the church over those types of issues when you make it a, a point of uh, non-engagement because your, your, your beautiful, peerless reputation might might come under uh, attack. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think for Sorry, me... Sorry, I, I was ranting there, but I, I could go on. I, there's, there's more. Maybe I mean, I'll get to spill that out later. For me, it might not be the theological... My struggle is with Christian leaders whose might not be... Issue might not be a moral failure, but because they take a certain political stance that I don't agree with, then I'm like, I struggle with their material. But I also recognize that was a, that's an emotional thing I'm feeling. Yeah. And and what I think for me recognizing that all truth is God's truth. In the, in other words, someone who doesn't even believe in Jesus, who has don't subscribe to biblical worldview. But if they align themselves with a truth, that truth is God's truth. It's not their truth. It's right. not some philosopher's truth. They right. simply discover truth is something that we discover. Truth is not something we invent. Yeah. So that helps me 
be able to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to agree with this person on whatever issues. But on this issue, I can agree with, and this is God's truth, and I can align myself with God's truth. Well, unfortunately, we're not looking at God's truth. We're looking at God's truth through our denominational lens or through our political lens. And those are two areas where I think this issue comes up the most. You know, I've run for offices, as you know, a couple of times, run for state rep. Uh, And during one of my cycles running for office, there was a godly man running for uh, the U.S. Senate uh, in Indiana. And um, he was in a national debate, um, or at least a statewide debate, and they threw him one of those gotcha questions as it related to rape and abortion. And um, uh, and he could have probably have said his answer better, but everybody knew what he meant. But those who were his enemies took that chance to, you know, jump on his statement, to twist it around, and to make him look extreme. And so... Here I'm running, and he's supposed to be coming through our area. And basically, the word I get from the Republican establishment at the time was, stay away from candidate X because he's toxic. And I'm thinking, stay away from a godly man who everybody knows his position, and everybody knows he's on the right side on the abortion issue, but you're going to stay away because all of a sudden he's toxic. And if I get close to him, then somehow I'm now going to pick up on his toxicity, and then it's going to hurt my chance to run. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is just posturing. It's, it's the shell. It's the brand. It's, it's stay shiny and, and, and you know, sparkly. Even though the person that's now toxic has done nothing wrong, in fact, they're a great candidate, nothing has changed, but the media, because of their twist of everything, has made this person look toxic. And so when you say that to me, stay away, he's toxic, I'm like, no, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to support him. I'm going to tell him, great job. I know exactly what you meant. And thanks for your courage to stand up against the evil of abortion. I'm not going to run from him because somehow he's going to make me look bad. That's like hypocrisy at the highest level. And I think that's what Bonhoeffer's talking about. You're more concerned with your image. You're more concerned with your Republican or Democrat brand. You're more concerned with your denominations, you know, uh, look than you are with with the essence and the truth of the gospel. You know, the the, the substance that's behind it. It's 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 shallow. It's surfacey. It's it's hypocritical. And at the end of the day, you're not really concerned <laughs> concerned about the truth that you think you're fighting for. You're you're concerned about your image. You're concerned about your reputation, your church's reputation, whatever. And, and that's, I think, again, the stuff that, <coughs> that Bonhoeffer's saying made him sick, you know? Uh, that's the kind of church, when he's watching Jewish people being slaughtered and the church hiding behind Bible verses and not wanting to tarnish the church's reputation. You know, when, when we, I'm on a roll, but when, when we decided to stay open uh, during the pandemic, one of the things, the word we got back from officials in the Holcomb administration, hey, Living Stones, you guys have a good reputation with the state. Don't, don't lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a leader, you can hear the hiss of hell, by the way, in those words, because basically it's saying, hey, you know, I had another politician tell me, don't tick off the, uh, the casinos because they give money to Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. 
like I want to jump in bed with the casinos. I mean, th- th- this this pressure is out there. It's a pressure to oh, conform. Sure. It's a pressure to shut your mouth. It's a it's a pressure to be complicit. Don't lose your reputation. You know, that's why you have to. One of the best things you can do is lose your reputation. And and the Lord took me through this many many times. I even said to the Lord one time, Lord, this this piece of of promotion that's attacking me and attacking your church. This is not going to be good for my reputation or yours. And the Lord kind of reminded me that. I'm a little more concerned with my reputation than I actually am with his. Uh, and actually, my reputation didn't really matter that much on the grand scheme of things. You know, that's where most leaders, whether they're in the church or they're in politics, that's where they fall because they couch everything under principle or whatever. But really, it's about me preserving my good reputation and basically selling my soul to do it. Yeah, I think that's the key issue is, is it really about what you say it is? Is it really about the integrity of God that you can't vote for a certain person? Is it really about his reputation or is it about your reputation? Is it really about uh, making God look bad and, and not serving other people? And there might be people who truly feel that way, but I think most people, it really is about their reputation and their discomfort. Yeah. You know, you know I heard a, a, a powerful story. I've never forgotten this. When, when Richard Nixon... Uh, had his fall from office. And, and again, at least he, he had the, in, the integrity to admit that what he had done was wrong uh, and to resign. I wish half of our politicians today had <laughs> right. that integrity. They had, a lot of right. them, we'd, we'd probably clean out most of Congress if they had the integrity of Richard Nixon. Um, but anyway, um, it was Billy Graham who rent went when Richard Nixon was at his lowest point, he was in a hospital room. He felt like everybody in the world hated his guts and he just wanted to die. He, he you know, he, he just, he wanted to end his life. Uh, everything he had worked for down the toilet, right? He's, he's living in shame. It was the Billy Graham association that rented an airplane with a banner attached to it. And I forget the message, but basically saying, Hey, you know what? God loves you. God forgives you. We forgive you. You know, it was a message of hope, something like that. And they flew that around the hospital where Richard Nixon was recuperating. And the staff actually pushed the bed that Richard Nixon was laying in, pushed it over to the window so that he could see uh, that message. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Billy Graham himself came to the hospital and ministered to, to the former president. Billy Graham was not concerned at that point with his reputation. Nobody wanted to touch Nixon, right? He was damaged goods. Mm-hmm. But Billy Graham didn't care about his reputation. He cared about Jesus' reputation. And that's what I'm talking about. He went and associated with somebody who was at his lowest point. You know, those are the kind of friends you want in your life. When you're at your lowest point, do they view you as toxic or do they view you as somebody for whom Christ died and they, they're going to love you because Jesus loves you at your lowest point? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would like a church full of people that are going to love me on my worst day and not be afraid of associating with me um, because of the name of the gospel or the purity of their theological reputation, blah, 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 blah. Um, those are the kind of friends that I'm looking for. Right, right. Um, let's get to a really thorny issue. Are you hiding a Jew in your basement? Because <laughs> this was really what was going on. He brings up a, a, an incredible theological you know, conundrum here on the issue of ethics. Uh, let's say so, a, a desperate Jew comes to you during Hitler's regime, knocks on your door and says, Pastor Andrew, I know you're a man of God. 
uh, could, would you please let us come into your home? Could we hide out in your home? They're after us. They're trying to catch us and kill us. What do you do at that point? It's technically illegal, right, to house Jews. Yeah. So do you go Breaking back to Romans yeah. 13 yeah. and say, ah, oh, you know what? I would love to hide you, um, but I'm a Christian. And Romans 13, you know, says it would be a sin if I didn't obey the government. Um, or do you go, all right, you know, come. And then later the the Nazi informants are knocking on your door, the, the Gestapo's on your door, and they say, hey. And I love the way the subtlety of the way the devil works. They won't say, hey, do you have a, are you hiding Jews in your basement? Uh, they're going to give you a way out. So they're going to say, has one of those nasty Jews imposed himself or herself upon you to put you in a bad situation where, where you compromised and allowed them to come in, into your basement, even though you knew uh, that this was the wrong thing to do? If so, please tell us, and we will, we will you know, uh, evict these nasty Jewish people from your basement for imposing themselves upon you. Um, and at that point, we deal with the whole issue of what is the truth? When do you tell the truth? Is it ever right to lie? Um, and these are some really thorny issues for, for many Christians. Like the moralist, the legalist will say it's always wrong to lie. Right. But how does how does uh, Bonhoeffer approach this? He wrote a, he, of course he wrote a whole classic book called Ethics, and he talks yeah. about these. He basically says it's none of their business, and it's okay to lie, to not proclaim the lower truth. My interpretation is not proclaim the lower truth because you're aligning yourself to the higher truth of loving your neighbor. So the purpose of the truth is not to bless, it's not to save, it's not to protect, it's not to redeem truth in that situation, you know if you tell the truth, you're going to kill, it's going to lead to the death of whoever it is that you're exposing. Yeah. And and he's saying when you know that the, purpose, the truth in the hands of an evil person is to actually perpetrate evil, then you have no obligation before God to tell the truth with that person. If, in fact, in those situations, the more righteous thing to do is to lie to that person and to preserve life. And you're not just loving the Jew who's hiding in your basement, you're actually loving this inquisitor, basically this Gestapo agent, by saying, "I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna try to preserve your sanity and your conscience a little bit so that you're not killing somebody." And for the for the for the nation of Germany to say, "We don't want to blood the innocent." I mean, really, that's it's, it's loving everybody in that case to quote unquote lie. But I would say they're actually aligning themselves with the greater truth of loving your neighbor. Right. When you when you know that that. That answer holds the power to destroy innocent people who are literally running from their lives, who have done nothing wrong. Um, then again, the higher thing is we're going to side with with truth that leads to life. And he gives a great biblical example. We only got about five minutes, but the example that he gives is uh, Rahab, yeah. the prostitute. You know, Rahab, the prostitute, lives in Jericho. Jericho is a condemned city. God's getting ready to destroy the city. And the spies are sent in to Jericho, and they, they go to the home of Rahab, the prostitute. She hides them. And then when the government officials come knocking on her door asking, hey, have you seen any of the spies? Have they been here? She tells a bold-faced lie. 
She says no, and she tells them some fictitious story about where they took off and and basically sends them on a wild goose chase. Um, And two times in the scripture, in in James and in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, Rahab is celebrated by God, not condemned for lying, but celebrated for um, recognizing that God is the true God and uh, and doing what was best for God the Israeli people, and uh, choosing to lie so that God's judgment on the city happens, and it ends up her life is spared, and she actually becomes, uh, she lives with the Israeli people. Obviously, she's not living as a prostitute, which was forbidden under the law and considered evil, but she's, to add insult to injury, insult to every religious person, she's in the genealogy of Jesus, a prostitute who lied to protect innocent life. Yeah. I mean, this is mind-boggling, and, and I think what Bonhoeffer's saying is all these religious moralists and legalists who view God as, as a, you know, a taskmaster, they don't understand the God of the Bible who's loving and kind and righteous and cares about people and who's not a legalist and a moralist uh, and who's not concerned about you protecting your theological reputation. He wants you to love people. He wants you to be like the story of the of the, of the Good Samaritan, right? Um, you're, you don't care that touching this person might defile you, uh, uh, you know, in the in the eyes of uh, the, the ceremonial cleanness, right? There's this person has been beaten up and left to the on the side of the road to die. What is the moral thing to do? To cross the road and to pretend like he doesn't exist, to keep yourself theologically clean? Or do you go and care for this person and love this person and nurse this person back to life? And obviously, you know, when Jesus tells the story and uses the Samaritan as the hero, he's going after the the religious theological purists, the, the Pharisees of his day who would keep the letter of the law and miss the whole spirit of the law. And again, that's the people Bonhoeffer's frustrated with is the German church that keeps the letter of the law while boxcars of Jews are going off to, to, um, you know, extermination camps to be slaughtered. Um, And I think this is a compelling chapter of of hey let's let's be Christians let's live out the fullness of the gospel let's let's believe that God is an amazing loving good Father who encourages us to 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 express our faith in radical ways generous ways loving ways not fearful that somehow if we step out of line he's going to whack us with his big club and I've been Christian for basically most of my life and this is why I learned about Christian church people whatever you want to call it is we can almost through the scripture through our church you know, Christian needs, we can almost justify every single action. I mean, we're, we're so sophisticated, we can almost yep. justify almost everything we do. I mean, you can justify any action because we're sophisticated. We just find the right Bible verse, the right church tradition. Right. And, and, what I've, and I feel like the Lord is always pursuing us so that we see the highest, see his perspective. And I found two basically alignments that helps me navigate that because sometimes you're just like, what is the right interpretation in this case? You know, um, and the first one is whatever decision allows us to trust him more. Hmm. 
which always leads to us to greater discomfort, right? Right. And the second is whatever decision allows us to love people more. Now, again, even under love, people have justified all kind of behavior, all kind right. of things. So that needs to be filtered by the yeah. Holy Spirit. We're not saying doctrine isn't important or truth isn't important, because uh, certainly those are non-negotiables. Right. Um, but, but we're saying that you can you can embrace a form of truth and miss the the, we, the fullness we, of what we God's have heart done is. It throughout history, of there was a time in which people thought indulgences were a real legitimate thing. These are authentic believers who just never think too hardly about these things, right? So to me, those are guidelines that helps me. Number one, I mean, that's when Jesus, when people are like, hey, how do you summarize all the laws and prophets? And Jesus is like, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, right? right? But in, in fact, when he says, love the Lord with all your heart, your strength, your mind, different couple versions of that, is in, for me, I interpret as essentially, trust me. Yep. Trust, depend on me more. Give me everything. Don't let the world be your provider. Don't your don't let your reputation be your provider. Don't let the economic system or the casinos or whoever else be your yeah. provider. I'm your provider. And then love people. Yeah. So that's no helps very, me very navigate good. through that. No, that's good. Very, very good. Well to wrap it up here, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll look forward to being with you next Thursday. Until then, have an amazing week.